0: Hey everyone, my name is Juan Clark. I'm a second year MHA student in the Sloan Program in Health Administration, and I'll be your host for The Health Conscious. The Health Conscious is a podcast that was started by students in the Sloan Program in Health Administration at Cornell University. The podcast was created to educate our audience by providing a stimulating discussion on the U.S. healthcare industry and how it works. We'll be interacting with professionals in various sectors of healthcare to hear their career matriculation, perspectives of the current state of healthcare, and key challenges and solutions to address them. As always, we want to thank all of our listeners for their continued support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. I to introduce our speaker today, Aaron Hopkins. He's a fellow Morehouse graduate like myself. He received his MHSA degree from the University of Michigan, he's currently the manager of Clinical Program Development Innovation at Walgreens Health. Hey, Aaron, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty good, Juan. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. I know I kind of gave a little bit of an intro, but would you mind sharing a little bit of your background with the listeners?
1: Absolutely. And again, uh, before we get started, I just want to say thanks for having me on your platform. Always a pleasure to support a fellow uh, Morehouse man, you know, trying to do his thing and improve uh, the world. A little bit about me. My name is uh, Aaron Hopkins. I attended Morehouse College where I received my Bachelor of Science degree in biology. Uh, While in school, I actually worked as a pharmacy technician, which was my entryway into retail spacing as well as, you know, kind of the pharmacy world. Uh, From that, I actually received my MHSA from the University of Michigan and then I pursued an administrative fellowship at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. And just give me a little bit of background about fellowship programs, it really is a leadership development program, allowing me to get broad exposure in the hospital as well as health system settings in New York, which is one of the leading, uh, I guess, centers for healthcare in the US. Uh, following this fellowship, I worked as an administrator for multi expressive practices, and also worked in commercialization, looking at product implementation for some New York City clients.
0: Wow. Okay. That's definitely a very good experience. Uh, so let me just, so I was a biology major, but didn't have as many uh, clinical experiences as, well as administrative. So it's really good to have to uh, hear both aspects of that. Um. So for those who may not know, the most common degrees in healthcare administration are either MHA, which is a master's in health administration or an MHSA. And so can you talk to us a little bit about your MHSA degree and how that differs from a traditional MHA degree?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So the MHSA is a master's in health services administration. MHA is just a master's in healthcare administration. I would say our MHSA for Michigan is really focused on more of the delivery of care. Uh, The programs in essence are pretty similar, but Michigan really does a great job of exposing one to different sides of healthcare, some of the different methods of care services that one can pursue with their graduate education.
0: Wow. Okay. That's a great uh, different perspective. I think traditionally most people in MHA degrees are even looking at, you know, either fellowships or consulting. And so maybe could you give briefly maybe some examples of uh, what some different career opportunities may be for someone with a uh, service degree?
1: Yeah. So uh, kind of similarly as well, during our program, fellowships and consulting were highly prioritized. Now, though, as we're seeing some of the changes in healthcare, we're seeing also some changes in terms of students' interest in pursuing, you know, postgraduate career opportunities. Uh, this includes working with payer organizations, working with managed care companies, even some kind of going into some, you know, VC firms are looking at startups. And so, really wanting it to provide a very broad experience from the postgraduate standpoint of healthcare to be able to kind of go into a lot of different avenues and kind of segue to all different fields within
0: healthcare. Wow, I like that. So, more of like kind of a comprehensive degree that really reflects the, you know, almost ever changing field of healthcare. So, uh, thank you for that. Exactly. And um, I know you previously mentioned uh, your initial response, but you did your administrative fellowship at Mount Sinai. So how did you like your fellowship experience? And maybe were there any projects or any skills that you gained that were conducive to your current role now at Walgreens?
1: Yeah, so I I love my fellowship experience. Um, I think my experience in itself was pretty unique. Uh, I was actually the second fellow at Mount Sinai Hospital. And, you know, typically a lot of other fellowships for large academic medical centers have been around 10, some of them even 20 years. And so me being, you know, the second fellow, it having only been in existence in two years, I accepted my fellowship without a really clear linear path of, you know, what I would kind of be doing post-fellowship. And so Mm -hmm. even when I accepted the role, the current fellow was still in her position. And so I couldn't really give any advice about, again, opportunities post-fellowship, what the full, you know, kind of fleshed out structure would look like. A lot of it was really being flexible, being able to craft, an experience that was really tailored to me and my interests. And so I think that that was something that was pretty invaluable. And just giving a a bit more context. So uh, our program at Osana is a two-year fellowship program. First year is really spent at the hospital. Second year is kind of spent, you know, doing corporate rotations. And then within that last year as well, you have a six-month interim management experience. And so for me, I got to see things from the hospital side, got to see things, you know, from the corporate health system lens, as well as being able to work as an interim manager to get some management experience. And so some cool projects that I got to work on included, you know, working in the ED, looking at throughput and bed ready status, as well as even, you know, assessing some corporate joint venture partnerships. So again, really holistic experience about trying to see what it kind of takes to, you know, run and work in a hospital, what it takes to kind of be a large, you know, health system leader from a strategic standpoint, then also what it means to be a boots on the ground manager. And I would say some important skills uh, time management is one that I really uh, learned during the course of this time, how to really prioritize a lot of the different projects that I was working on, because, again, you're getting thrown a lot of things, you really have to step up to the plate. Understanding strategic planning, whether it's, you know, five year, 10 year, looking at the competitive market, still in a place like New York. And then lastly, how to really evaluate partnerships and joint ventures in the city.
0: Wow. That actually sounds like a very, not only didactic program, but just an amazing experience. Um, you know, most, I think fellowships don't really, um, you know, diversify or really kind of be able to expose their fellows to all different aspects. So you said that you worked in the hospital side, also got exposure to the corporate side, um, and as well just management. So, you know, your last six months were spent actually in a management role. And so I think that that's just, again, a great experience or at least exposure to all the different aspects of healthcare that you kind of get within a, a fellowship. And so I'll also. Yeah. To the same point, some of the skills I think that, you know, we're also working on is time management and prioritizing. And so I'm um, really great that you're still able to, to be able to learn those skills while even in your fellowship.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, a good piece of that, too, because I was one of the second fellows there. Half of my job was also, you know, kind of explaining you know, what the fellowship was and actually kind of showing proof of concept, because, again, uh-huh. it was relatively new. And so if myself, you know, the fellow before me and even the ones after me didn't really you know, do a good job or actually kind of show their competence, it would then kind of question the, the point of the program, you know, question if we really, you know, kind of were meant to be there and so forth. And so, again, it's really about kind of coming in, you know, stepping up to the plate, you know, putting on a good representation of, you know, what it meant to actually be a fellow and kind of really show that we are hopefully going to be the future leaders of this organization.
0: Wow, that's great. That's that's a really, really good perspective that you just touched on. Because most fellowship programs, again, have you've already said, have been established within the healthcare system. And so, for you to be a fellow and then have to define the fellow or the fellowship processes, definitely something very different. Which I'm sure was was probably very conducive to your just leadership development in general. Oh yeah, <laughs> a lot
1: of learning there.
0: After your fellowship, you jump kind uh, of directly into an administrative position, ambulatory operations and planning. In that role, did you have any direct reports? And if so, did you encounter any challenges in managing a team of individuals who could have been older or more, have more experience in healthcare than yourself?
1: Yeah, it's funny that you asked that. So I actually got this role uh, in May of 2020, which also happened to be uh, the height of the pandemic. I had about 20 direct reports. Uh, this included two managers, medical assistants, registered nurses, phlebotomists. Patient coordinators as well as ancillary techs across three different care sites supporting 23 uh, primary care physicians and specialists wow. uh, ironically enough I was the youngest out of all of my staff as well as all of the um, physicians so it definitely was an initial challenge you know kind of coming in there and you know, helping to steer the ship towards you know a, a course that we all felt comfortable ironically enough I remember one of the MDs had you know made it a point to state how he had been practicing medicine longer than I had been alive. And so, you know, I didn't really let that face be kind of coming into my role. I knew that we had, you know, a job to do. And I knew that, again, uh, taking the range and really navigating us through the storm of the COVID-19 pandemic was the priority and was the main focus. And so immediately kind of came in wanting to get an understanding of what were the staff's current issues, how we could improve to really get to where we needed to be. Also, you know, had to implement some COVID testing and and vaccine process improvement protocols just to kind of make sure that everyone was safe and protected. And I think when looking at the end of the year, when it was all said and done, we were one of the only sites that had, you know, really low turnover. Our patient experience scores actually still kind of remained high and above, you know, the market, even given the COVID 19 pandemic. And my um, employer's satisfaction surveys were actually pretty good. And so I think really bringing everyone together and us kind of getting through. That uh, you know the issues regarding the pandemic in my first you know six to twelve months there really had them get a lot of you know trust and respect for me and so after that it was pretty much smooth sailing towards anything that we needed to get done and accomplish.
0: Wow! No, I think that's that's great. I think one kind of key point that you kind of talked on is really just you probably just establish a culture within your team. And so there's definitely a lot of studies that really show that if you improve the employee experience, it will then actually improve patient experience, which you already spoke about as well. And saying that you all still have a great scores, so um, definitely great, great leadership and and kind of managerial type of tool that you were able to employ on that.
1: Yeah, I would say you know me having worked previously as an interim manager is where I got a lot of my initial mistakes out. And so kind of when I came. To this role, even though it was during the pandemic, I was a bit more uh prepared for. And I think, you know, we really did a good job of coming together and rallying and say, hey, you know, this is something that no one has ever experienced before. You know, just to be frank with you guys, I'm a new manager here, but you know, I think that I still have some good ideas. And of course, with you all's input and with you all support, we can really get to where we need to be. We can make sure that our patients are still, you know, taken care of given this adverse and stressful environment.
0: Wow, I really like the transparency you're approaching that
1: absolutely it's all really about you know being an authentic leader and i think that they you know understood and respected me and again once we kind of came over that hill we were like we got through the the pandemic you know in new york city which is you know the epicenter of the pandemic like you know there's nothing else that we can't do and so whenever we would have further meetings like hey we have to get this initiative done or you know we need to improve these scores i was like hey we we got through the pandemic everyone was healthy you know we still were able to see our patients like this should be a piece of cake you know they always would laugh and they say hey like you're right because we had overcome that initial challenge together, and so anything else, you know, they kind of viewed it as me not necessarily asking for too much because, again, they asked me for a lot during my initial six months to make sure that everything
0: was taken care of. Wow, it sounds like that your team really had a lot of trust in you, but probably because you fostered an environment for that to, to happen. So kudos to you on that.
1: Yeah, man, I really appreciate
0: it just ask a little bit more about your your recent career. so I know that you recently made the switch, you know, from the traditional provider side to Walgreens, which is kind of an innovative disruptor in the healthcare delivery settings as of right now. So maybe can you walk us through your decision-making process for transitioning and what you'll currently be doing in your new role?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, for me, prior to my jump to Walgreens, I worked as an administrator um, for ambulatory operations. And Right when I had gotten that job, I remember having a conversation with my manager at the time. And I had, you know, had a one on one with her. And I said, you know, I think that we should look at actually implementing like a telemedicine program. And, you know, her response to her, and this was January 2020, I want to say, you know, she was like, Aaron, that's a great idea. You always have these great ideas. However, you know, we can't implement that right now. Maybe in like three years, I'll give you the budget to actually move forward with this program. And I Mm -hmm. said, okay. And then, ironically enough, Four to five months after our entire health system was on a telemedicine program because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And right. so what I kind of gained from that was you no know, crisis, breeds innovation, but it shouldn't really have to. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, healthcare and hospitals are kind of slow moving. They're usually resource constrained. There's a lot of red tape and they're pretty risk averse when it comes to, you know, making changes specifically from the innovative lens. However, when you look at big tech, retail, or even banks now breaking in in healthcare, they're really trying to control their costs. You know, get a big piece of the pie because you know they're fed up. Employee benefits are the second largest expense of most businesses after salaries, and organizations really just unhappy with their own costs as well as these outcomes. And so, ultimately, for me, I got into healthcare because I wanted to improve people's health and really impact patients in a positive way. And so an organization like Walgreens, Amazon, CVS, Walmart, you know, they have the scale, capital, resources to really try new things, to positively impact the patient's health, reduce costs, and are willing to take a lot of these risks. And when I look at Walgreens specifically, they are really attracted to me because of their national presence, their retail focus, and their investment in innovative solutions. I think during my first week on the job, you know, I had done orientation, and what I learned is that 80% of the US population lives within five miles of a Walgreens store. So like that reach is really just you know, incredible from a national standpoint. And then lastly, you know, the CEO of Walgreens recently announced that the division that I joined in Walgreens Health is going to be the new growth engine of the company, you know, for the future over the next you know, five, 10 to 20 years. And they've invested, you know, billions of dollars to you know supporting these different initiatives, buying companies from holistic care. You know whether this is primary care specialty pharmacy or even post acute care home health businesses so really just kind of seems like a great place to be to move forward with my career
0: Wow. No, that definitely actually def- that sounds like a really amazing opportunity. I mean, I think one thing that you, you really kind of spoke on earlier about is that crisis breeds innovation, but it shouldn't have to. And so I think that that's something that every hospital system or those in across every hospital uh, setting could really kind of, you know, say that COVID really did that for a lot of different things. And so I'm sure everyone's come up with a strategy about how can we continue to, you know, uh, move forward? How can we continue to kind of, you know, um, support that innovation? But again, it's always a conversation right. of the risk versus the reward. So... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, even different type of perspective that you gain currently being at Walgreens that you didn't necessarily have at a traditional hospital system.
1: Yeah, so I, I would say 100%. And in my role uh, currently with Walgreens, I work as a manager for clinical development innovation. My role is really centered around developing new innovative solutions or programs in you know digital health, health at home or in-store clinics, which at Walgreens we call our health corners. So I look to help Uh, develop our go-to-market strategy for new programs, access, scalability, and success, as well as short-term and long-term ROI. Part of the job is actually meeting up with startups or other kind of like-minded, you know, companies in particular areas that we may want to focus on to see if there is some synergy or a chance to partner and pilot, you know, with Walgreens Health if there is, I guess, opportunity in the market. And so the thing that I kind of like here is that we have, you know, our own, what we call our innovation budget. And so For me, you know, being one of the members on the innovation team, I have access to, you know, a certain amount of innovation funds to where that we can actually, you know, go through, of course, a stress testing process to say, hey, I think this is a good initiative. This is what the market is telling us. This is where the opportunities are. Here's what our competitors are doing. This is how much the upfront cost is. This is our potential ROI. Let's move forward with this. And it's not, you know, as long a process of, you know, trying to get unbudgeted monies from a hospital or trying to invest from. A hospital's bottom line, it's like, you know, we have a dedicated fund to really pursue any of these innovation ideas. And I think because of that, we are allowed to enable to move a lot quicker and really kind of have that impact, you know, once we actually provide the business use case that this makes sense, you know, for us personally as a team, then also for Walgreens as an organization.
0: Wow. Again, I, Debbie sounds like they're doing like some tremendous work kind of within, again, the healthcare kind of space. And so it's really just interesting to to hear. I'm um, Kind of to pivot but go off your same point is that, you know, the healthcare landscape has shifted drastically in the past few years. And I would say mainly due to COVID and the acceleration of that. But there's been some significant trends in delivery moving from inpatient care to outpatient, as well as various hospital at home models. So from your perspective, what do you think the future of healthcare and delivery will look like? Yeah, this is
1: a, a question I think about a lot. Um I think <laughs> I would have to start by saying, one, like hospitals aren't going anywhere. Um I think just the type of care that they deliver will change over time. It'll really just be a place where the sickest of the sick patients will go as opposed to going for, you know, kind of standard ancillary services or maybe, you know, some surgeries that can be performed in more of the outpatient side. I think there will be, there has been actually continue to be a large shift to outpatient for surgeries and other services that may not require, you know, admission or overnight stays at the hospital. And I think care delivery overall when looking at the future will just be in platforms that are you know, more convenient for patients. One specific example are uh, employer on-site health centers. And this is something I kind of worked on uh, at Sinai as well. You're gonna start seeing a lot of different large employers have you know, health clinics and health centers actually on site for their own employees. I even think in the future it may you know, go as far as seeing large you know, building and apartment complexes offering health centers and clinics as an amenity feature. I mean, if we think of even gyms twenty, thirty years ago, most apartments didn't have gyms. But then all of a sudden, you know, to make it more convenient for the people that live there, oh, we have a gym downstairs. You know, you can pay a bit more money, but instead of having to leave and travel, you know, there's a gym in your building. I think sooner or later you'll also see health centers in some of those places. And I think lastly, we're looking at retail spaces such as Walgreens, CVS, Walmart. They're all going to continue having care delivery capacity in their stores, whether this is for vaccines, testing, ENT issues, urgent care issues, and then even looking at stuff like chronic disease management, even ancillary services. And I think the last piece, health at home. I mean, 50 years ago, everyone hears about the proverbial doctor's visits, right? Where you would be sick, your doctor would come, he would diagnose you and leave. And I think as we're seeing now, there's a shift back to that model because you know patients want to be in a space that's comfortable. They want to not have to wait to see a provider in a living room filled with other sick people. They would like the privacy of, you know, getting treated in their own space. And so if you can then have a model to where you can get all the services that you may typically receive at, like, you know, an outpatient practice, at an urgent care in your house, you know, why wouldn't you want to necessarily, you know, get that type of service? And I think for me personally, and I you know, I hate to admit this, the, the pandemic kind of made me a bit you know, lazy in the sense that, You know, I use Instacart so much now. I used to always go to the grocery Mm -hmm. store. However, now that I can have groceries delivered to me, you know, in between meetings, you know, on my schedule, whenever I need to schedule it, it's a lot more convenient. It allows me to be more productive. So I think we'll start to see a shift of healthcare in that way, too, to where it's going to be very convenient for patients and very consumer-centric.
0: Wow. No, that's definitely, I think you touched on a lot of good points. Definitely uh, something to think about for sure. And I think uh, the main thing that you talked about, again, was the comfortability and the convenience. And so I think that's a larger conversation of access. And so, you know, access... Through the pandemic really kind of was, was a hot topic because essentially you had all these patients who were really, you know, uh, very sick and didn't really have access to either vaccines or adequate care. And so that's what kind of stimulate the growth of telemedicine or even the hospital at home uh, programs to really kind of provide that care to patients that were, you know, traditionally who wouldn't have actually access to healthcare. So um, it's really great to see that, you know, even, even from your perspective, you definitely still think that's would be growing, getting more um, easier as, as we probably evolve inside of healthcare.
1: Yeah, you made a good point there, Juan. It, it's the access piece. And I think part of identifying the access is really where like CBS and Walgreens specifically kind of were able to identify that they can actually play a large role in this market because you know they were kind of the main ones in places giving out the vaccines to people that needed them. You know, once right. the hospitals were kind of at capacity or, you know, everyone couldn't, you know, get to, you know, hospitals because of, you know, where they live or they may have to travel and so forth. You know, your CVS or your Walgreens on the corner had your vaccines available, you could come in, get your shot and and keep it moving. And I think a lot of people like that model. And I think that they saw a lot of, you know, volume increase in foot traffic as well, because, again, you are providing more uh, access to care to people where they need it, as opposed to what's convenient for uh, the health systems or for the healthcare
0: organizations. No, yeah, absolutely. That's that's definitely a great point. I mean, you even touched on it in your earlier note, um, mentioned that, you know, hospitals aren't going anywhere. So I think you're absolutely right. Traditional hospitals are really just institutions that are really, uh, are not going to be moved. But however, the care that they provide doesn't necessarily have to occur within their four walls. And so, again, bridge onto the communities or even looking at either retail spaces or other kind of organizations that are in that communal type of setting, I think is going to be definitely a huge shift that we've already observed and definitely going to be continue to grow as we, um, you know, really just evolve inside of healthcare.
1: Indeed. I'm really excited for the future that we really even see over the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, you know, where people are getting their care and where they actually want to receive their care.
0: Absolutely. And I'm sure you'll be at the forefront of that in a few years.
1: Uh, let's hope so.
0: <laughs> but um uh, just as a, as a pivot as a like a final question quickly, that um, you know, I know that you were involved in an HBCU Venture Capital Fellowship recently. So would you able to tell us a little bit more about that program and what you kind of gained from it?
1: Yeah, great program. It's actually ironic because um, well, the CEO for HBCUVC is a classmate of mine. She actually went to Spelman my year and Hello. was working at Mount Sinai Health System with me right before she actually went to HBCUVC. And so me and her had connected while I was actually working for uh, the vice president of Mount Sinai Ventures, which kind of was my gateway into the venture capital space. Um, again, HBCU VC is an excellent program. I think it's you know, one of the only, if not one of the few that really exposes and provides a curriculum to current students, as well as alumni from HBCUs looking to learn more about the venture capital tech entrepreneurship and startup ecosystem. Uh, I think the application for this year's fellowship is live. And so definitely recommend that anyone who is interested to apply because it is a you know, once in lifetime opportunity to really get this experience and learn in addition to you know them providing books, you know resources and, and seminars, it really gave me an understanding about the history of venture capital. I was able to hear from leading you know VCs of all races and leaders in the industry, just to kind of understand you know their thoughts. Really be able to identify some of the barriers of entry, and then for those that wanted, they even offered paid internships at some of the partner firms. And I, I wish that I was able to participate in that piece of it. You know, however, I wasn't, but really gained a foundational understanding of you know why there are so few VCs of color being able to write checks or at the check writing level and how this has a downstream impact on founders of color not being able to get the funding for their companies. And so everything's really interrelated. And I think really going through that program really kind of opened my eyes to some of the challenges and also kind of makes me an advocate of wanting to get more African-Americans into the VC space, including myself, and also make sure that these founders who are trying to start companies whether it's in you know healthcare, fintech, media, and so forth, that they do have you know somewhere to go and they are getting that proper support, resourcing, and funding.
0: Wow, that actually sounds like an amazing opportunity, especially uh, in healthcare. I will say we're typically kind of siloed to focusing either on you know healthcare or just the business aspect of things. But again, venture capital is something that's really kind of just been growing over the years. So it's really cool that you were able to kind of still have your experience even at Mount Sinai, but also still be able to kind of gain that uh, exposure to venture capital.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I wouldn't have traded that program for the world. And again, I think it is something that we're becoming more aware of. And I think ironically enough, I remember when I was a fellow and working with the vice president of Ventures, we were assessing, you know, some company that we may gonna invest in. And in one of the girls' bios, she had said that she was a third generation venture capitalist. And I was like, who um, even knew like venture was around for three generations? Right. And it just kind of goes, to show the privilege that, you know, some have compared to the others and i think HBCUBC is trying to do a good job of uh bridging that gap
0: no it sounds like they're right on the mark with that definitely um well aaron this has truly been a great conversation a lot of knowledge dropped in it, especially regarding um you know the retail space even just your history of how you kind of transitioned throughout and particularly through healthcare has also been very interesting as well so definitely want to thank you for being a guest on the podcast today
1: juan well, it was a pleasure coming on your platform to speak and you know drop some knowledge Again, I really appreciate the work that you're doing here. I know that healthcare is something that is ever changing and something that is evolving. And I know guys like you, myself, and then even everyone else that is pursuing their your master's degrees are kind of working for different organizations, really want to keep patients at the forefront. And so definitely you know, felt good to kind of get on here and give some knowledge. Feel free to invite me back anytime. We'd love to continue having these conversations.
0: Of course, of course, as always. Uh, and of course, thank you to all of our listeners and be sure to subscribe to the podcast.